Welcome to this podcast sponsored by the National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning. The National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning is one of the training centers funded through the Office of Population Affairs to provide training to enhance the knowledge of family planning staff. During this presentation, Zika, a sobering challenge to the family planning community, we will be speaking with Dr. Mark Hathaway. Dr. Hathaway is a board-certified OBGYN and served on the teaching faculty at MedStar Washington Hospital Center from 1997 to 2013, where he developed and led the section of community outreach, the family planning section, the Ryan Residency Program, and the family planning fellowships. Dr. Hathaway is currently Senior Technical Advisor for Reproductive Health at JPEGO, an NGO which focuses on international maternal child health. He also assists with family planning programs at Unity Healthcare in Washington, D.C., and has served on several national-level work groups and committees, including the Institute of Medicine Standing Committee on Family Planning and the Title X Expert Panel. He has served on the Board of Directors of the National Family Planning and Reproductive Health Association and is currently on the Board of the Association of Reproductive Health Professionals. The Zika virus is prompting concern worldwide and being treated as a public health emergency. For those working in public health, the virus is especially troubling as we face unknowns around the spread of the virus, the capacity for responding to the health outcomes, efforts at education and prevention, and funding to fight the disease and treat the affected. The implications for public health in particular and family planning sites is serious. The unknowns of the Zika virus, unfortunately, outnumber what we do know. Welcome, Dr. Hathaway. Can you begin by sharing some history of what the Zika virus is and how it's spread? Yes, and thank you very much for having me. I'm, uh, as you mentioned, this is a sobering thing for us, both as a public health uh, notion in general and family planning sites specifically. And I think I could probably talk about the epidemiology for several hours, but I'll try to give a brief overview. So in uh, 1947, the Zika virus was detected as part of a surveillance that was being done for yellow fever. And interestingly, it was in the Zika forest in Uganda, hence its name. And then in 1948, the, the virus was recovered from the 80s Africanus mosquito. In 1952, there was a first human case detected. That was in Uganda and Tanzania, both still in Africa. And then there were sporadic cases between those years, the early 1950s and 2007. And there was a 2007, there was a first fairly large outbreak when the transmission went from Africa to Asia. And there was a detection in uh, Micronesia and the island of Yap. And then, uh, as most recent information is becoming available in the recent news, in 2013-2014, there was a Guillain-Barre syndrome, a neurovascular or neuro, uh, neurologic disease linked to the Zika virus. This was an outbreak in the French Polynesian. And then, uh, as we've seen, there's been lots of cases detected and noted, and lots more information coming from South America, in particular Brazil and some of the South and Central American countries. The disease is uh, primarily spread through the bite of the 80s aegypti, or the 80s species mosquito, which is infected with the virus. And 
as uh, we'll point out a little bit further, most people infected with the virus don't even know they have the disease because they won't have any of these symptoms. Uh, but those that do have the symptoms, they are typically mild and last for several days to up to a week. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Dr. Hathaway. And can you talk a bit more about this particular mosquito? What are the traits of the mosquito? Well, it's interesting. This mosquito, some, some folks have referred to this as kind of a domesticated mosquito, kind of an interesting term. But the Aedes aegypti mosquito is, as all mosquitoes, only the female bites uh, for blood. And it's referred to a domesticated mosquito because it tends to uh, live mainly indoors and it feeds at dusk and dawn can um, feed when it's, the weather is cloudy, but it can bite all the time. It tends to like urban areas. Uh, some people refer to it as kind of an urban, a lazy, a nervous mosquito. Uh, it tends to uh, congregate stagnant water or wastewater areas. Uh, the lifespan is two to four weeks, but the eggs can survive for over a year. And there may be other 80s species that are potential vectors, but for now we think it's we know that Zika has tremendous negative outcomes, especially for pregnant women. What are the current facts around pregnancy and Zika? Well, I think, um, you know, we, have, we probably know less or we, there's many, many more issues that we don't know than what we do actually know. But well, let's talk about some of the things that we do know first. So we know that pregnant women can be infected with the Zika virus, and that's the primary concern these days. Uh, it's through the bite of an infected mosquito, uh, and it can be spread. We also are now learning that it can be spread from males or men to their sex partners. Uh, pregnant women can pass the virus to her fetus, and that's where the devastating effects are, are now being seen and sorted out. Um, so we can we can talk a little bit more about that. But there's what, as I mentioned, there's a lot that we don't know. Uh, we don't know if a pregnant woman woman is exposed. We don't know exactly how likely she is to get the Zika virus. If a pregnant woman is infected, we don't know how the virus will affect her or her pregnancy. We don't know how likely it is that, that the uh, Zika the virus will be passed to her fetus. If the fetus is infected, uh, we don't know if that fetus will develop birth defects in all cases or some cases, when in pregnancy the infection uh, might cause the most harm or cause harm. We don't know whether if the infant or the baby will have birth defects. Uh, if there's sexual transmission of the virus, it poses a different uh, sort of risk, and we don't know quite what that transmission poses in terms of uh, mosquito-borne transmission versus just sexual transmission or differently sexual transmission. Lots that we don't know. And, you know, and, and initially we thought that the first trimester exposure was what you know we often refer to as the danger zone of a pregnancy, which is in many cases that's when most uh, ill effects occur, the time of neurodevelopment. But we now uh, are aware that the concern is probably throughout all of the pregnancy, and that has to do a lot with the fact that the virus attacks the neural stem cells, and so there's concern throughout the pregnancy because those neural stem cells develop throughout the pregnancy. And this can include any number of neurologic uh, issues, eye problems, neurologic disorders, premature births, uh, but this main effect, as I've said, is to do with the damage to the 
the neural tissue. Thank you. And Dr. Hathaway, can you talk a bit more about the transmission of the virus after someone has potentially contracted Zika? Specifically, what are the symptoms and how can it spread from person to person? Women, men infected with and without symptoms? Sure, and I think I think it's probably best stated in a simple way that you know there basically the transmission is in any way you might think of it. Uh, so the mother to the child, the mother to the fetus, sexual contact, uh, males with their partners, blood transfusion, uh, Zika. You know, as I said, Zika virus can be spread from a man affected with Zika to his partners. Uh, there's been some known cases where men who had the symptoms, and from these recent cases, we know the virus can be spread when the man has, man has symptoms before the symptoms start and after the symptoms end even. Uh, and we're now learning that the virus can stay in the semen probably longer than it stays in blood. Uh, there, to date, there have been no reports of infants getting the virus through breastfeeding, however. And because of all the benefits of breastfeeding, mothers are encouraged to breastfeed even in areas where Zika virus is found. And that's from uh, fairly recent information in May of 2016 from the CDC. Thanks. What are some of the clinical symptoms associated with Zika? Well, I think uh, I'm glad you asked that question because the, the, probably the most important point is that most of those that get sick may not even notice it. Uh, and the, 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 the typical symptoms uh, are kind of a, a flu-like illness, uh, fever, skin rash, muscle, joint pain, uh, conjunctivitis. Um, there's severe sequelae are very, very less, or very, very uncommon. And as I said, most, roughly around 80% of um, infected males or females are asymptomatic. And that's probably the tricky part of this disease that you may not even know that you are infected. So how is Zika diagnosed and how is it treated? Yeah, it's uh, it's diagnosed uh, based on a person's recent travel history, uh, their symptoms, results of blood tests. And those blood tests is the only way to confirm the Zika infection. And there's uh, set labs that do the testing uh, primarily and I think only exclusively now through state health departments. So if you have a woman where you suspect she may have Zika virus, you need to turn to the, the state health department looking for the lab tests. One of the devastating effects of Zika is, of course, how it affects the developing fetus. Can you talk about the association between Zika and birth defects, including microcephaly? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we, we were thinking of it early on as an association, but now we know that uh, the virus is actually causal. It, it does cause microcephaly. And um, that was due to, or from recent studies, uh, maybe two months ago, that this declaration from the CDC and the WHO. Um, but the, the the effects are, as you mentioned, devastating. It's, it has to do with this neural stem cell destruction, uh, which leads to a head that's smaller than expected. And that can lead to abnormal brain development, uh, including seizures. Uh, development and intellectual disabilities, problems with movement, balance, feeding problems, hearing loss, vision problems, and just uh, terrible, devastating uh, disease. 
How aware are people of the potentially devastating effects of Zika, such as microcephaly and, as you mentioned earlier, Guillain-Barre? What are your yeah. perceptions of people's awareness of the virus and the potential outcome? Well, it's, uh, I've, I travel quite a bit these days with my job, and I, I continually ask what are people aware of and what do we know and what do people know, what are they hearing? And uh, in a poll that was done in March, it's probably more recent polls, but uh, some of the data from that poll indicated that 20% uh, of people felt that there's already a vaccine, and we know there is no vaccine yet. Uh, that's why prevention is the key. Forty-some percent uh, did not realize or do not realize that Zika can be transmitted sexually. Seventy uh, percent of individuals infected with the virus are likely to show symptoms. Uh, we, we, that's incorrect. Most women, most men infected with the virus do not show any symptoms. There are a lot of women, and a lot, I'm sorry, a lot of individuals are aware that uh, the Zika virus is transmitted by the mosquito. So at least we've gotten that information out there. 87% or so, but uh, there's not a clear awareness of this linking between the Zika virus and the microcephaly, and that's really important information, as well as uh, other symptoms or other syndromes, including, as you mentioned, Guillain-Barre. So I think, you know, as the take-home message, I think, is to be aware of the good public health information that's being broadcast and keep yourselves up to snuff, up to date on good uh, public health messaging, not necessarily what's coming out of uh, the local news media or the media. Okay, and thank you. Um, given the potential magnitude and impact of the devastating health problems Zika may cause, what are the recommended prevention areas to focus on? Right, so as we said, there's no vaccine. Uh, that means there's no cure, there's no vaccine yet, and so prevention is crucial. Um, and that means uh, primarily pr trying to avoid or prevent mosquito bites for yourself as well as for others. Um, that means keeping mosquitoes out of your home or hotel or you know, wherever you're working or staying. Uh, try to throw out any items that might hold water. That includes you know, planters, toys, pools that are stagnant, uh, tires, old trash containers, bird baths, things of that nature. Check inside and outside of your home. Uh, those are kind of the, the bigger overall vector control uh, items. And then there's the, the personal protection uh, repellents. Uh, use the EPA registered insect repellents. Uh, those include, and we know that these are safe for pregnancy as well as uh, individuals that are not pregnant, but DEET, uh, Procurian, uh the IR535s, uh, some of the others, but there's, as, as we mentioned, there's good resources out there which repellents are safe, and there's lots of them. And if you are pregnant, um, you should not travel to any areas with, uh, where the Zika virus is prevalent. If you must travel, make sure you talk to your doctor or their healthcare provider before you travel. If you're trying to get pregnant or thinking about pregnant, talk to your doctor as well as your, your partner um, because as we've mentioned, it's like the sexual transmission component of this virus is really important. Dr. Hathaway, will you summarize where you feel family planning has a role in the Zika crisis? Yes. Um, 
and for those of us that work in the family planning world, uh, this is kind of a mixed bag because we feel as though I think um, there's a lot of opportunities. This is this is a time to really make sure that your family planning strategies, your family planning programs, are up to snuff and, and you know, beef them up if they're lacking. Um, there's some governments that are advising delay of pregnancy, and that there's there aren't any global or U.S. recommendations regarding that. Um, but regardless of the local status of the Zika transmission or the Zika virus, um, we need to be able to promote capacity building, high quality family planning service deliveries, and, and clear information uh, provide and promote comprehensive, up-to-date, evidence-based counseling with all options and methods, including the, the same-day provision of uh, family planning uh, methods. Good counseling, uh, make sure that uh, emergency contraception services are available, including management of these emergency contraception failures. Uh, promote safe sex. Uh, you know, and, and I'm not a big fan of the word dual protection, but in this case, it is important in terms of preventing sexually transmitted virus, but also pregnancy prevention. And make sure that um, we're discussing and aware of uh, the Zika virus travel. Uh, restrictions or recommendations that are coming out of CDC. The, I think, you know, I, I often think of uh, different scenarios with patients. So, you know, there's the patients that are thinking about getting pregnant. There's those that are pregnant. Um, and, you, know, you can think of many other scenarios, but those are, are um, probably the top two. And then I think we are going to see more men asking questions about their risks and uh, Zika virus, but you know, if you think of the general typical patient population would come into a family planning site or a, a clinic area where there's family planning offered, if a, if a woman tests positive for the Zika virus, then she needs good options counseling. Uh, positive pregnancy and positive for Zika, good options counseling, and that includes you know the, the three options that we provide for everyone. That's early antenatal care options. Uh, refer for abortion care provision, mainly referral, make sure that your referral mechanisms are strong and intact, and refer for adoption or social services if that's what a woman desires. If a woman tests negative for pregnancy or negative for the Zika virus as well, then this is the time to t discuss uh, family planning options and you know, make sure that she's aware of the implications of potential exposure to Zika virus as well as make sure that she's aware that her partner can also transmit the virus. And, you know, as I can't say it's enough, but good referral systems uh, are essential. This is the time to make sure that you're, you have good referral systems in place. Uh, there's multiple impacts on family planning programs. We probably are going to see an increased demand, especially for the, some of the longer acting methods, uh, implants and IUDs. We're probably going to see an increase for emergency contraception. So if there's, you, know, you detect or suspect a strain on your family planning commodities provision um, in you know, what we already know is a background of unmet need in some sites, and this is a time to work on making sure that uh, you get your sites up to snuff. Can you talk a little bit about uh, tuning up and ensuring the family planning basics? 
well, I can talk a little bit about it. I can also talk a lot about it, but I probably won't here. Um, but, you know, in any family planning site, um, you want to make sure that uh, the staff, clinicians, as well as ancillary staff are aware of the updated medical eligibility criteria. The newest guidelines are about to be released, actually, uh, this coming month, in July. So making sure that clinicians are up to snuff and aware of the newest guidelines, making sure that uh, quality family planning uh, from the, C, uh, the QFP guidance that's coming also from the CDC and LPA. Um, we in our clinic site have talked a lot about trying to uh, provide a question every so often, perhaps annually, you know, a key question about reproductive life plan or what key question. And then there's patient-centered counseling, making sure your counseling strategies are intact and good informed. Choice is, a, is a part of your strategy, good counseling strategy. Emergency contraception, as I mentioned, and you know, sexually transmitted infection protection. Uh, this is essential, essential to discuss with both men and women, uh, especially surrounding the Zika virus era. Thank you. Before we close, will you share any action steps that may be important to our listeners as we learn more about Zika and its impact on family planning? Yes, uh, I would say stay up to date. Uh, as we speak, there's probably new, more information coming out, but stay up to date, and uh, we're going to have a list of the resources soon. Um, work with the local health department and the media to provide simple, clear public health messaging. I think it's the uh, you know, if they have any access to the media, make sure that they're giving good stories but also good public health messaging. Use the agencies that are available, uh, both locally as well as the larger national organizations, the CDC, the OPA, uh, NIFRA, and uh, the organization that I'm working with right now today with you guys, the Family Planning National Training Center. Um, as I said, there's updates almost daily with new information. And, be aware there's no vaccine to date and prevention is crucial. Thanks, Dr. Hathaway, for this timely and valuable information on the Zika virus. Please be aware that the OPA Zika Toolkit is pending regarding CDC review and will be released very soon. OPA anticipates a July 7 webinar describing the contents and use of the toolkit. Please visit the Family Planning National Training Center's website at www.fpntc.org 